0: Well, welcome everybody to uh, the the first episode of uh, Devs Talking. Um, This is um, a podcast that I've been thinking about doing for uh, quite some time um, where uh, developers have conversations about the things that matter to software developers. Uh, So I have with me today uh, two of my former colleagues and friends, uh, the Jameses, uh, James Thomas and James Spargo. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give them a chance to introduce themselves. So, uh, James Spargo, how about you go first? Who are you and what you do?
1: Hi there. So, yeah, I'm I'm James Uh, Spargo. There's a lot of people out there who call me a developer. Um, Some people even pay me for that title. Um, Really, I just classify myself as a guy who likes messing around with computers and kind of making them do my bidding. Um, I I work really hard at being really lazy um, and, like, trying to automate anything and everything, but do it in a way that um, the next person who comes behind me, which is usually myself, um, can
0: understand what the heck's going on. Um, yeah, that's me. All right, thank you very much. And uh, James Thomas, who are you and what do you do? Hey,
2: so yeah, I'm uh, James Thomas. I'm a software developer. i um, been doing this for nearly 10 years or just over 10 years now. I can never keep track. Um, and like my uh, esteemed colleague uh, mr. Spargo, I am also i I just really like tinkering with things I like um, pulling them apart, figuring them out, and uh, seeing how they work um, and so I've been in love with with computers and technology for like forever basically like I've um, I've spent time uh, building machines. I've spent time uh, taking them apart, obviously breaking them uh, many times over. Um, and it's just—it's something that I've always loved and enjoyed doing. And so it was kind of a natural fit for me because I think at, at the at the heart of things, I'm I'm a problem solver. I like having uh, puzzles that I can work out, and uh, software development for me um, provides a steady stream of puzzles and puzzling things and things that I can figure out. Um, so that's why I do it and why I like it.
0: Awesome. And, um, and I am Kevin Hickey. Uh, I have been in this business for about 15 years now. Uh, I, I started my career in embedded systems, um, writing uh, drivers and kernels and low-level C stuff. Um, I switched from there to consulting and uh, enterprise web-scale development, uh, which was which was quite a transition. But where I'm, I'm really passionate about exploring all aspects of software development. So not only uh, languages and techniques and different you know types of software development, but a lot of the the ancillary stuff that goes along with it. Um, I've been a, a project manager. I've been a product owner. Uh, I'm currently an architect. Um, at, a, at a large uh, technology company, and I I enjoy sort of bringing together the notion of the business and what customers want, and and using software to make people's lives better. So um, I've I've had a passion for computers and technology my whole life. I really enjoy writing software uh, quite a bit, but I also really enjoy. Um, designing you know large systems and, uh, and and fitting all those pieces together so that uh, users and developers and support folks and everybody else involved in the ecosystem uh, have better lives. So um, all right, well, thanks very much guys uh, for those intros and welcome everybody to uh, to the show. Um, so what we'd like to talk about today as as sort of a good introduction uh, into into some of these things that make us tick and and who we are. Uh, we thought a good topic for today would be, uh, for us each to talk about the uh, the technique or practice or or t- um, technology that has impacted the way we develop software most in the in the last couple of years, um, and so we're gonna sort of go around the horn. Um, each of us talk a little bit about. What that what that technique or or practice is, we're going to uh, discuss them a little bit. I I've got a feeling that some of those discussions are are going to uh, spawn other pod, podcasts in the future, where we can dive a little bit deeper into these topics, um, and uh, and then we'll we'll wrap it up. So um, once again, I think I'll start with uh, with Mister Spargo. Uh, so how about you go first and and tell us a little bit about what's impacted you.
2: Oh, okay. So,
1: <clears throat> well, um, I don't know, probably about five or six years ago, um, I kind of really got bitten by the uh, uh, clean code bug um, with a lot of the Uncle Bob writings as well as uh, the Dave Thomas and, um, oh, I forget the other guy's name. Uh, I follow him on Twitter from uh, Pragmatic uh, Pragmatic Programmers um, and just like writing like really readable and understandable code. Um you of Mr. Hunt? Uh, yes, Mr. Andy Hunt. That's right. I, I don't know why I always forget him. Anyway, um, and and yeah, it, it started becoming becoming really important to me because, especially with my side projects and whatnot, I'd I'd frequently return back to them and pick them up and then go back to them, and, and so I would. Ha- I, I it became really important to me to be able to uh, understand just at a glance um, what the heck is going on in my code um and and that kind of like pushed me like more towards um like fluent apis and 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 right like writing code that actually kind of reads like prose, um and so that's taken me down like a lot of paths uh and and at that point i want to say it start i started getting turned on to um like the term best practices which now gets thrown around a lot but I, I, I hear best practice this, best practice that, um, and, and it, it's not very often that, like, true best practices actually come out, um, uh, and, but when they do, they're, they're pretty self-evident, um, and so I've, I've, been, I've been, I'm always trying to focus on those, but I've, I've actually started being, like, getting down to the granularity of the things, um, and one of the ones that I've really been focusing on at least the last year or so is uh, like my, my Git and my version control. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that y'all have heard the, 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 the pithy phrase of commit early, commit often. Uh, and I've been trying to really focus on that, which when you actually really try on it is, is somewhat difficult because it, in, in the theory of continuous delivery and continuous integration, Every, in theory, every single commit should always build, should always pass all your tests. Um, your functionality might not be complete, but all of those tests and everything that you have there should be passing and, and, and should be able to, like, build, uh, build on your, on your CI tool. Um, I, I have never done this. I've wanted to. But, um, this thing I'm about to talk about, um, uh, uh, but I, I know of of other people who have, and, um, they'll, they'll write scripts that will actually go through all of the commits of the day and wind it back and, and wind them back in the evening and then go and build every single commit and point out the builds that fail. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that, um, I, I don't hear about it very often, but I, I have heard of it, it, it happening. Um, uh, so there's the small frequent commits, which I think I've been actually getting been getting pretty good at. Sometimes it, it annoys the, the, the pair that I'm pair programming with. But um, uh, the other one is is actually uh, git commit messages, believe it or not. Um, uh, for some reason, at some point on a project a couple of years ago, we started um, analyzing, so what's the best commit message? Like, how, how is, like, what's really the proper way to write a git get commit message? I mean, should you write a paragraph? Should you write, tweak the file? Um uh, and and things along that line. And so I started digging around, and, and what I found was while the documentation does, the, while the Git documentation doesn't necessarily specify how to write a, a commit message, if um, I, I did find some threads where they were pointing to the, the Git community that's actually developing Git and, and the style that they use is, is present tense imperative. So, okay. uh, so I started dropping things like ing, like adding this functionality and I'll just put add and, and it actually makes a lot of sense to me anyway. So if you go back and, and read your, uh, Git commit history, um, which it is, when you're looking back through stuff, it's really important to keep that stuff clean. Uh, but if you go looking at your Git commit history, like each each commit is kind of like a command where you're actually adding stuff um, and adding each little layer of functionality. And when you keep your commit small um, and frequent, those commit messages are also small. Um, and, and it can almost read like a test or at least like a, a well-named test, such as added functionality A because of reason X. And done, that's it. Um, you might need to extrapolate a little bit more information in there, but most times it's not. Um, so those are some of the like, the, the, like, the granular best practices. Um, uh, a couple of the other ones that I, I've, I've actually been getting into over the last couple of years, uh, Docker has really opened up some really interesting possibilities, uh, especially because a lot of my side projects, which I usually just do to like make my life easier in some form, Um, but it, the, the Docker aspect makes it really nice to, um, you can package it up in, in a really nice, neat little container and put it out there. And then that's your deployable. And then the only dependency you now have is Docker. You don't need, you don't need, uh, uh, you you don't need a a Java runtime environment. You don't need a connection to this. You don't need a connection to that. All you need is fricking the Docker engine. Um, so that, that's really opened up a lot of possibilities. I'm, I'm really enjoying playing around with that. Um, but beyond that, it's, uh, uh, the infrastructure is code stuff and actually just trying to automate everything and, and kind of codify everything so that you can actually put it under VCS and, and make it to where, um, your repositories are like buildable and runnable and, and everything. You might have to specify like, um, some requirements such as, Hey, it requires, uh, the, the, the JDK eight, um, yeah. no, no, this, that, or the other. And, and a database. Um, But beyond that, like you, you commit it, you check it out and it's, it's running. Um, And then you can just point it at, at a CI tool um, or the CI tool that I guess is configured in your, in your source code. Um, And it's just up and running. And um, uh, yeah, like, like, like I think I, like I mentioned in my, my introduction, um, I, I write software to like make life easier. Um, Usually my own. Um, But uh, and yeah, I'd, I'd say those, those are probably the biggest things that, that have, uh, have, have been impacting me or interesting me over the past, you know, six months, a couple years.
0: Okay, yeah. so there's a there's a lot in there. There's a lot to unpack. I think that uh, oh, there's yeah. definitely a, a right. whole uh, there's a whole podcast coming up on Docker because um, I have some I have some strongly mixed feelings about it, um, and I don't really want to dive into <laughs> too much of that right now. I do want to ask you something about Git um, and sure. and Git and really small commits. Is yep. I've I've tried to use that technique before, and especially in a sort of a continuous delivery environment, when I want to commit really frequently, but before I have a piece of functionality that's ready to go out the door and I don't necessarily want to uh, put feature toggles around everything because that can be tedious and, and, uh, and, and whatnot. Uh, Have you considered doing things, especially cause Git makes branching so easy doing things in, you know, small column story branches or mini feature branches and, you know, and being able to do your frequent commits there and then merge that to the main line when something more bigger is done, or do you feel like that's, that's not worth it? Um.
1: Okay. So to, to, sorry, buddy, you're going to get the typical consultant answer. Fair enough. It, it depends. It depends. <laughs> um, uh, so <laughs> in, in, in general, um, I, I kind of detest branches. Um, okay. Uh, and, and it's not like their theory or their concept or anything. It's, I, I think it's the fact that like 99.999% of the people out there use them wrong. Um, or use them poorly, sh- I, I should say. Not, not necessarily wrong, but use them poorly. And I, I'm included in that 99%, so I mean, I'm, I'm not above anybody else. Um, uh, I, I think in, in some cases, yeah, it can definitely depend. But I also think you can attack your problem in such a way that you can add unfinished functionality without actually exposing anything um, that, uh, like, out there. So it says, I mean, if you're writing a service layer, then, um, like, Disable the disable the endpoint, or don't write the endpoint piece. Write write the underlying pieces that are there, um, so that there's nothing actually exposed outside of your application. But the functionality is actually still in your compiled binary. Um, <clears throat> and there's other ways that you can do that on the front end as well. Um, uh, so that that's probably one way that I would approach it. Um, yes, definitely slicing off a branch um, is another way to do it. Although that also has overhead because your main trunk is is gonna. Um, keep moving forward while your branch is sitting there getting stale, um, with without a lot of like interaction or or help, um, right. and and eventually it's going to make it painful to actually merge back in, um, and um, and and that's I, I don't know that on, on the topic of branches, one of I don't know I guess the reason that I am not a big fan of branches is because um, I find that uh, there's there's frequently a lot of struggle. Um, merging them back in, even really short lived branches, like yep. the branches, branches that just live a day. And, and I kind of, um, enjoy the, um, the phrase that if, if you're fighting with your tools, you're using your tools improperly. Um, and that's what I see people doing a lot with branches is, um, when, when things move and you got to merge, get them merged back in, um, they end up fighting with their tool and either wasting a lot of time trying to get the code in where they liked it or they end up getting it in and, and they've lost some piece of functionality or something's just not quite right, um, right and it ends up screwing them up more than it does helping them.
0: All right, fair enough. Um, okay, great. Uh, James, do you have any... James Thomas, <laughs> do you have any anything you want to toss in or add on uh, to uh, getting small branches or any of the clean code stuff that uh, Mr. Fargo has been talking about?
2: Yeah. Um, one thing that I just kind of was kicking around, because um, I've been playing around with uh, Git hooks lately. Because, um, yeah, I've, I've had experiences in, in a lot of different places where uh, where we practice either like pure trunk-based um, development where everybody is always committing on master the, 100% of the time versus other places where we've done feature branches um, that ideally will live very, very short amount of time. And then... Um, Do those or merges those back into to master whenever it's it's good to go, and I'm not sure which I truly prefer because they both have different pluses and minuses. I mean, the the biggest negative on doing things in in a separate branch, of course, is that um, dealing with merge conflicts is a is a huge pain. So I was kind of kicking around the idea of in that kind of environment maybe having um creating a hook that says anytime you do a commit. It should also do a pull rebase from like master to get the the latest. Um, that way, you're kind of constantly keeping up with what is going on in master, and you're you're making sure that your branch doesn't get too stale. Um, yeah, just kind of something I was kicking around because um, I think in that environment, I, I would be okay with having feature branches. It's just the the stale factor is always the thing that, that bugs me the most.
0: Yeah. The team I'm on today uh, uses the uh, uses pull requests uh, pretty liberally. So we we and, and when you're using the pull request mechanism in Git, you're almost obligated to create a branch to create a PR off of um and so what what we've been doing is and and part of that comes from you know, we we do we do code reviews which whole other topic that that's probably not worth getting into right now but the the merits of sort of pair programming in real time reviewing versus um post story code reviews and the ups and downs of those but if you're in an environment where uh code reviews are are sort of part of the development process um Git pull requests are actually kind of a, a really nice GitHub's got a really nice interface for reviewing the code in, in that context, but at the same, but to, to both James's points, uh, we, we do spend, um, a non-trivial, not a lot of time, but a non-trivial amount of time handling, uh, merge conflicts at the ends of, at the ends of stories. And so, um, you know, I think it's, it's once again, one of those where there's, there's, there's ups and downs and, 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 uh, it depends. <laughs> All right, well, thanks a lot. Um, we're gonna move on from here to uh, James Thomas. And uh, so what is um, the, the thing that's impacted your development the most in the last couple of years?
2: Okay, yeah, so for mine, um, mine has definitely been a more fundamental um, in that it's, it's really uh, test-driven development and, and to a wider degree, just doing uh, actual real automated testing. Um, so for most of my career, I, I spent it at one, one place and it was the first job I had right out of college and it was not an organization that practiced uh, automated testing uh, really hardly at all. Um, we had a little bit of front-end UI tests, you know, fully functional um, whole stack tests, but unit testing was not something that was practiced um, nor were any level of integration tests. And so uh, I was in a somewhat unique perspective uh, in that I learned about all these things in college. I had a, a fantastic uh, professor who spent time um, being an Agile consultant and then taught classes at my school because that's where he got his PhD and he just liked the liked the place. Um, so I learned a lot of professional techniques uh, in college, like unit testing and test-driven development. And, um so I knew going into my, my first job that those are things that I wanted to do, but um, being the, the newest person there and being a <laughs> little bit intimidated by all the people who had, who had spent you know 15 years in the industry um, working on, on things like that, it, it was hard for me to um, push those kind of things that I, I knew were, were worth doing. Um, and like even like like whenever I make the attempt to to try and adopt those practices, they they never worked out well. Um, some of it was just pushback from the team, but you know I probably didn't didn't implement it the best way that I could either. So uh, once I um, finally left that that company and moved on to my current position, um, that was when I, I joined an organization that actually uh, cared a great deal about automated testing and and using that as uh, as a means of driving um, quality and. Dependable releases, and since then, like it's been, it's it's night and day. It is, it is um, certainly the the biggest single thing that's that's changed the way that I I deliver software now. Um, and like there there are things about test driven development that I I kind of didn't really fully get until after um, having a lot of time to think about it and actually practice it. But one of the things that test-driven development does for me is that it really reinforces um, that I should be writing software from the perspective of the thing that's going to use it be it you know a, a, you know, a customer an API consumer something um, but writing my code in such a way that it that it makes uh, sense for them that it's easy for for them to use um, and, and furthermore if you write from that perspective it makes it harder, not impossible, but uh, at least in my case, <laughs> it's been harder for me to write code that I don't need, code that I end up throwing away, um, because I'm focused exclusively on what the needs are of the client, of the, of the consumer of my code. Um, and so that has also been tremendously transformative. It's it's helped me trim down the amount of code that I write to focusing specifically on, on what I need to satisfy the, the needs of my of my client and my user um so that for me has definitely been the the biggest single um single thing that that's that's changed the way that I I do my job
0: okay so um sort of to 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 play the the little bit of a, a I guess devil's advocate or the the biggest pushback that I've heard when I've when I've tried to introduce automated testing practices and test driven development a lot of people talk about the fact that spending all that time writing writing tests or or you know it slows down development so you know that's that's all great when you've got all the time in the world to write to write code but when it's crunch time we got to get something out the door what are you doing? Spending all your time doing that? It's it's you know it's not the developer's place to do that. What would you What would you say to those to those people?
2: Yeah. So I have a I guess a few different responses to that. One is that for me, um, tests uh, in the broadest case for me are a living documentation of my my application and what my code is supposed to do. Um, they are the thing that describes in very clear terms what it is that this thing is supposed to do um, and ideally a little bit of why it it, it, it works <laughs> that way. Um, so if you don't like writing documentation, I would suggest that maybe you just write more tests instead, um, and if your tests are are good and well-named and clear, um, then that's generally sufficient. Um, now, if you take that approach, of course, there are, there are things that you have to, to do, like Periodically go in and, and prune your tests. Like your your tests are code, and, and your tests need to be um, refactored and, and treated the same way as production code. Um, so yeah, there are definitely uh, pluses and minuses there. Um, but um, for me, uh, like the the biggest reason, aside from not having to to necessarily write a bunch of documentation, is that my my tests are my safety net. Um, the more tests that you have that validate that your functionality um, is intact, the uh, more fearlessly you can go in and make changes to your application when you need to, and you'll have the confidence that that you're not going to kill yourself because you you remove some critical functionality that you're not going to notice until until it goes to production. So, like that, that is the. Uh, those are the two biggest benefits for me, the 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 self-documenting nature of of tests and the safety net that you get.
0: okay? yeah, when I know when I first adopted uh, test driven development, and this was it was quite some years ago, um I read the Pragmatic Programmer. Um, it got me excited and and I decided to try it out. One of the things that I was really surprised by was the um, how much time I spent writing tests and code and how little time I spent in the debugger. Um, and and back in those days, I was writing. Uh, I was I was writing a lot of C, uh, and GDB is is not a fun place to spend your time, um, <laughs> and so uh, any amount of time that I could get out of that. And later, as I as I sort of you know grew into to some of the the, the project management um, techniques that that I'm aware of, uh, that that debugging time saved. Uh, led to a lot more predictability from the developers, and so from sort of a you know a managers at at first blush will say that's a lot of that's a lot of time that they're spending doing a doing a you know not development activity, but when you start to have developers that are not spending you know, a lot of time debugging, which is a highly unpredictable activity, and, they're, and they can predictably know how much time it's going to take to write the test, make a pass, write the test, make a pass for a given type of story. You start to get a much better cadence uh, in your development, and, and that's, a, that's a generally good thing.
2: Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: Um, Mr. Spargo, I think you have, uh, you have thoughts on TDD or, or, or automated tests in general, anything you wanted to add or ask?
1: Can't stand it. <laughs> no
2: that, that's that, absolutely
1: not um i i yeah no uh tdd um kind of like what I, what I was mentioning earlier um kind of changed my life uh which is uh odd um yeah I, I i i wholeheartedly agree with a lot of the things that have been said here um uh yeah so as as, as james pointed out um yeah so it's uh, and and going back to your question of hey man it's crunch time we got to get stuff out um, <clears throat> the the tests are, are your safety net I mean that's what gives you the confidence to be able to actually write write those um, or write that code and be able to refactor that code to be able to be more efficient so you can actually write it and extend it and maintain it and, and add more functionality easily and quickly <clears throat> and on top of that you can you can be sure that everything is going to continually pass so I mean sure you might be able to like bang out some code that's going to add just this little bit of functionality but if you do it without actually writing your tests um at whatever level um you're going to have to like in order to get that same level of confidence in the functionality of your application you're going to have to spend that time doing manual testing which can be a hell of a lot more time consuming than act than just running your automated tests um and 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 getting that confidence that way now then again that also uh, hinges upon being able to write good tests. Yes. Um, one of, yeah. I think one of the, so I, I've, I've been doing consulting for about five years now. Um, <clears throat> and, and all that entire time I've been on my soapbox preaching. Uh, if, if I can't get them to t- do TDD, dude, I definitely want them to do tests. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, <clears throat> And um the there's there the but the strongest argument I've heard against actually writing testing your code either first or last is the fact that um uh well if if I change my code then I have to go in and change my tests. And that to me is a clear indicator that your tests are are, are kind of written poorly or written incorrectly. Um and, and what that tells me is that your tests are too tightly coupled with your code. Your tests should be testing behavior not implementation. Yep. Um, and when, yep. when you stick to that, <clears throat> you, should be, you, you, you should be able to refactor your code and have the exact same behavior without having to touch your tests at all. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've actually been getting a lot more into Uncle Bob lately and, and I actually uh, laid out some cash for, for some of his videos and I was watching one last night and, and one of the things that he kept repeating was um, as your tests get more specific, your code gets more generic. Which is, which is incredibly true. Yeah. Um, I, I, and uh, a, another point that, that, that I want to call out that James mentioned was that um, your tests are ab- absolutely the, document, uh, the living documentation of your code. Um, mm-hmm. Now, then again, on, on the flip side of that, there's some applications such as like with Android and whatnot, uh a- android development where like your unit level tests might be too granular on some of the things that you've got to do so unfortunately that documentation ends up getting spread a- spread out across um several different test suites at like your, your unit level your integration level your functional level um, but still all of them are are end up being your your living documentation for how your application is supposed to work
0: yeah and um and yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's one thing that that I've learned as I've matured in test driven development is that it's not it's not all about the unit tests that that unit yeah. tests uh, that that integration tests and functional tests have their place and not everything has to be so. To for me, not that I not that I ever really measure code coverage in a, in a traditional metrics way because that's a that's a a, a false flag. Um, in terms of measuring code quality, but uh, I don't necessarily feel the need to cover everything with a unit test. That, I, that there are some things that are better covered with an integration or functional test, and that's okay. And, and, yeah. and it, it sort of it sort of changes the the way you sort where, the way you approach. I still always write, have some some failing test when I'm writing production code, but what level that test is at uh, varies depending on the situation. Yeah,
1: definitely, 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 definitely. Um, the other thing I wanted to call out is Kevin, you had mentioned, uh, what, what, what testing, uh, TDD, um, one of the thing one of the impacts that it had on you was the amount of time that you would spend in the debugger. Um, and what, and, and, um, I, I, since you called that out, I I actually kind of realized that and it's like, wow, you know, before I was doing TDD and testing, half or more of my time was spent in the debugger trying to figure out okay what exactly the hell is the data in this data structure here um and it wasn't only like me trying to examine around the area a lot of that time was trying to was was spent trying to get to the point where yeah. i needed to debug and and that just that whole setup cost and especially if you're like deep in some sort of flow um man and and if you take one step too far you've got to do all that setup again, yeah, man. Yeah, and even, even if you automate that, that can be incredibly painful. But then once you fix that bug, all that time you spent automating getting up to that point, dude, you throw that away. It's done. I mean, I, I believe in code being um, a living thing and evolving and moving on. And I, I, I absolutely realize that, you know what? Sometimes code is going to have to be deleted. But code or, or anything you've done to set up to get to the automated for that debugging... Uh, for that one point, the only value it has is getting to that, trying to fix that error that you've got that you probably wouldn't have run into had you actually, like, written some tests. Yeah.
0: And maybe, and maybe uh, you can actually take that setup code and use it as the kickoff to the integration test that solves that very problem.
1: Wait, why are you trying to put value on something that I already decried (laughs) as valueless? I
0: I don't know, because, because, because I don't know, because I think of things. Um, You, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Right. Wow. Okay. Well. Uh, so I think I think that uh, testing will will likely be a frequent topic that we're going to come back to um, a, a bunch of times. Um, so uh, thanks, uh, James Thomas, for bringing that in. Um, so I want to I want to move on here into into the thing that that's impacted me the most. Um, mine. I'm going to take a little bit different tack. Um, and and you know, for me. One of the things that I realized in my journey, and, and like I said in my, my introduction, I've done a variety of jobs uh, from, you know, developer, technical leader, project manager, product owner. I'm an architect today. And when I started my career, I started at an organization that was a traditional waterfall uh, company. So when one of the very first projects um, the very first activities that I did when I started my career is I was given a, a BRD, a business requirements document, which was a very long and detailed document of all of the specif- specifications of all the code that I was supposed to write. And I was told, hey, these pages are yours. Um, I need you to break them out and I need you to estimate how long each of these are going to take. Um, And we put all that onto a a Gantt chart and my architect gave me UML diagrams that showed me exactly what classes and what methods I was gonna write. And, uh, And it was basically just to me to map the contents of that document to the contents of those methods. And we put it in this big Gantt chart and that activity took two weeks and our project manager came back and said, okay, everybody, we're two weeks behind. And I said, "How is that even possible?" And he said, "Well, the project started two weeks ago. And we spent two weeks putting together the the, the chart. Well, the clock had already started, and you're two weeks behind." Um, oh, wow. And <laughs> yeah, and bad, so bad. Um, from that day on, I was I, I I was looking for a better way, and uh, and I read the Pragmatic Programmer. Um, I looked into you know agile techniques, and and eventually I found my way to places and and teams where we did things in a more agile way. And what I found is that that people who were were sort of pure agilists uh, rejected all of those things. And it was a glorious time where I didn't have to, I didn't have to pre-estimate my whole project and no one was handing me designs and, and um, you know, and, and we were just sitting down and we were writing code day one. And and I was really happy in that for a while until until I got into some more complicated um, applications and complicated designs, and I started moving into these places where I was trying to manage teams doing that work or design larger interactions. And what I found was this: this complete rejection of planning and design was leading us to spend a lot of time spinning our wheels, where we would write some stuff and we would get away. You know, we would we would do two or three sprints worth of work or iterations worth of work, and then we'd find out that we did something wrong because we had never considered it or even, and in the absolute worst and the most extreme case, I worked um, a Relatively short contract, but we got about 80 percent through the time of the contract before we realized that fundamentally our approach to the problem was was wrong from the start because we didn't understand the requirements and plan out the macro architecture uh, in the beginning. We just said, "Hey, this seems like a good you know this seems like a good technique, and we'll just go at it, and I'm sure it'll it'll work itself out." Um, so the thing that's impacted me the most is is really finding the notion of the balance um, in design and planning that going into developing a piece of software with no plan and no design is just as bad as going into an overly designed and an overly planned and an over-waterfall process. And and sort of along with that is, is the, the process of developing software itself and that cadence. Um, the very same teams that, that rejected design and rejected a lot of heavyweight process wanted to do things as completely lightweight as possible. And what we found, what I found was those teams um lacked both predictability and and comfort in their cadence. So while they didn't want to be managed, um, there was also always this tension of, we don't know where we are, we don't know where we're going, we don't know if we're anywhere close to it, and eh, it'll probably work out in the end. And and that's a, a really stressful way to live. And so the most successful teams that I've had were teams where we had the right amount of process, the right size, of you know, size, scope, stories, the right cadence, the right, um, You know, sort of team ceremonies of group estimation and um, iteration planning and being able to accomplish, you know, full stories in a day or two and those kind of things. And we get into this cadence, and when you get into this cadence of success, and you can sort of look at a burn up chart. That that shows you know where you are relative to your your next target release and and granted the lines on that move and in, and you know nothing is set in stone and you know as, as part of part of the process is the flexibility and that we learn that when you know when scope grows we need to tamp it down and or when it's when there's not enough we need to bring in the next feature or whatever it is but working through that balance and and having a team that can move forward and drive toward a goal. Um, and move forward on a on an agreed upon you know sort of high level design uh, is a is a really really powerful thing, and I think it's what separates the the great teams from from the teams that happen to get by. Um, and so so for me, I think the the biggest revelation that I had was was that you know I knew for a long time that heavyweight process and big upfront design was bad. What it took me a long time to realize was. Uh, no upfront design and absolute anarchy was equally bad. Um, and so, and, and and you know, and maybe this is just maybe this is just me projecting. This is what I want to throw to you guys to to tell me how you feel about it, because maybe this is just me projecting value on the roles that I've assumed in the last couple of years as a PM, product owner, architect. I have to believe that that I'm doing something of value. But I, I, my observation has been that the teams that get that right are the teams that seem to be more successful.
2: Yeah, no, I, I agree. There's definitely um, a balance between um, you know, doing all of your design up front and doing it afterward. And I think the thing that resonated to me the most with what you were talking about is that you don't want to uh, prescribe too much to your team because you want to give them some autonomy, some way of feeling like they're actively participating to to the project as a well, whole, not not just filling in the, the, the blanks that have been set aside for them. Um, and I think that's that's definitely the key. So if you're if your process of for lack like of a better your your process of, of doing a little bit of upfront planning or or doing some spikes to test out some ideas um, involves the whole team and they all have a good chance at getting their their input heard and and accounted for, then I think you're going to be in in good shape. Yeah. Yeah
0: yeah, and and that's definitely the level I like to keep it at, right? is is give sort of a, a high level concept um, and and definitely help the development team relate back to the business goals and the and the and the customer problem that they're trying to solve, right? Um so, so what I feel like is say, hey, this is the ecosystem that you're living in. This is where we fit in that ecosystem. So because of that, here are some of the boundaries that we have to boundaries and constraints that we have to work with within that box, you know, I will, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to let the team do as much or as little of that as they want. And I've had some teams that that do want to do a lot of the upfront exploration themselves. And I've had some other teams, especially less experienced teams that ask for a little bit more to be given to them. And, and you know, I'm, I'm happy to so to, to walk that line. But I completely agree. There are some teams, you know, highly experienced teams, there's there is no value in uh, in ignoring the input of, of good people who know what they're doing and that want to contribute. That is the, the probably the biggest mistake that that manager types and architect types make is uh, is they feel like their their opinion is worth more than everybody else's and they ignore everyone else. And that is a that is a huge error on a number of on a number of different levels.
1: Wow, I, I I think you kind of hit the nail on the head from most of the uh, most of the 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 architects and and managers that um, uh, that I have had friction with, um, <laughs> <clears throat> to to put it politely. Um, and it's not that I, I I get that they're super experienced; they've been doing this for a long time. Um, I, I I definitely value their input, but I think a lot of times. Uh, they, they try to interact at too granular a level. Um, and at, at, in the same sense that, that as developers, we've got to keep an eye on like the code that's going on in front of us as well as how it affects the rest of the system. Um, I, I, I'm kind of of the opinion that they need to take much more of a, like a 10,000 or 100,000-foot view as to what's going on um, and, and, and pay attention to that. I definitely want their, they want their contributions and their input but I mean, like, Hey man, let, let, like, give, give me in the same sense, give me your requirements that what you, like your acceptance criteria that you want me to meet yeah. and then let me figure out how to meet them. Yeah. Um, and if it's something that I feel is either, um, either risky or questionable, or I'm not so sure about, I mean, then I, I might come, come to you for guidance, but don't, don't try to force something down my throat. Um, and and in the same sense, uh, don't don't treat me like a um, a, a living breathing like typist. Um, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and, I mean I've I've got the, the I, I know where the nuts and bolts are and I know how they turn. Um, uh, and and it's it it's it's your job to keep me on, on, on the rails and, and going in the right direction. Um, and and I'll keep that engine
0: engine rolling. Yeah, though though I will say, um, you know, just a call out to the uh, to the you know technical management, technical leadership, architect types. Um, this is certainly this is not an excuse to let your skills wane. And there is nothing that builds credibility with your team more than uh, jumping in and sharing some code from time to time, sharing some of the burden of writing it, and and contributing a little bit, or or so I've found. Yeah.
1: Um, I cannot echo that sentiment enough,
0: you know yeah. it,
2: totally it, it can't
0: it can't be your day to day job that's that's not the right thing to do and it's and it's not fair, but you know from from time to time contributing, making sure to look at the code base and letting your team know that you understand what it is that they're doing is is extraordinarily valuable um, and it oh, makes yeah. your life a lot easier uh, yep yep
2: definitely yeah and also like sharing. The experience that you've recruited over, you know, the long career that you've had is is very valuable too, and a lot of it is is done by working next to people and and giving them, you know, regular feedback right as you're working with them. Like the the value of uh, of somebody that's been in the industry for a long time isn't just that they can spend a lot of time writing up a, a spec document that's really thorough and very detailed. <laughs> it's also in, in smaller things like just yeah, sitting next to somebody and watching how they code and giving them advice. Yep, definitely.
0: Boxes and arrows. It's, it's where I'm at, dude.
1: <laughs> man, it make, makes websites work. It's yeah.
0: Um, <laughs> I just want to throw one more little anecdote in uh, that because I, I I've hawked the the pragmatic programmer a couple times, um, and like I said, I read it I read it the first time probably about ten twelve years ago now, and I had the opportunity to meet Prag Dave uh, probably about three or four years ago at a, at an event. And I knew he was going to be there. And, and I'm enough of a nerd that I brought my, my copy of the book and and asked him to sign it. And, uh, and, and I walked up to him and I was like, Hey, would you mind signing this? And and he said, sure. Okay. Um, And I said, you know, man, this book, this book changed my career. It changed my life. He was like, yep, mine too. (laughs) 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 Fair enough. Um, Yep. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, I think with that, we're about out of time. Um, so uh, James and James, thanks a lot for uh, joining me here this evening. I I think uh, this was a this was a great conversation. Uh, certainly, I've, I've taken some notes on the side of uh, future topics that I think that we want to expand on. Uh, this is a good conversation that's going to continue. So um, I appreciate it. Uh, have a good night. And uh, we'll talk again soon.
1: Thanks a bunch, man. Thanks. For you. All right.
0: Bye, y'all.